recording. Welcome everybody to podcast number 10, the Recovery Lab podcast series. I can see myself on the camera over there, so that's pretty interesting. <laughs> All right, so as you can see, we have kind of upped the technical sophistication around here. Finally got use of the microphones that I bought and the McCoy House mixer. Give a shout out to Denise. So let me know um, how the audio is. If it's too much, just bear with us. Just comment and let me know, and then I can make adjustments. And just for posterity's sake, we have the microphones up to a number eight in sensitivity. Okay, so uh, the usual and customary uh, initial spiel. Give constructive criticism, comment a lot. Steps you want us to talk about, recovery in general, psychology of recovery, uh, anything. Nominate people to be on the podcast. Uh, the more y'all are involved, the better this will be. Um, the uh, I also want people to comment and let me know about things that are uh, of general benefit to those in recovery. And the example I always give is how I saw on Facebook that they were giving away Narcan at the Pines in Columbus. If you know of places that give away Narcan or just have anything that's uh, generally beneficial to those in recovery, please leave it in the comments. Uh, if you want to give us some financial support, I will try to remember to stick my cash tag thing uh, on the video or in the comments. Um, so without further ado, let me introduce Danny, who is responsible for the majority of the technical improvements here. He has certainly been uh, proper and I'm grateful for his uh, injection of energy here. So. Uh, Danny and I go way back. We've made some poor choices together. <laughs> and we have made some good choices together. So I'm glad to have you, brother. Man, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is a, this is an honor. And I'm uh, I'm excited to be able to play a small part in uh, the Jackson, Mississippi recovery community. Um, well, it sounds like you've been playing a pretty large part. Well, I, I uh, it, it, uh, today it, it feels good to, to be of service and to help. And, um, you know, that's, that's all... Uh, you know, I, I haven't done a whole lot. All I've did is just done is just kind of walk through doors. Um, so I'm certainly pleased to be here. And I tell you what, man, uh, driving over here, I was thinking of some of those uh, experiences, poor choices. Yeah. some of those poor choices um, at the old house. And, um, you know, uh, you and I were talking about this the other day, but the fact that, you know, we uh, we experienced those experiences uh, all those years ago. And now we're uh, involved in a uh, recovery podcast is uh, something that's absolutely unbelievable. And uh, Well, a lot of my motivation <laughs> for wanting to do this was that I have screwed my life up in a trillion different ways. And if I can help one person not screw their life and only up in only one of those ways, it would be of some benefit. Absolutely. So I have an outline that I have purposefully not let you look at. <laughs> okay. Um, it is my general outline that I have used for people that just regular people in recovery, mm -hmm. not that don't people that don't have a professional bent. So how did your addiction begin? Shame, 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 shame. That is a common theme in my recovery or in my, my life is shame, shame, shame. I was, uh, I was adopted when I was three days old to absolutely wonderful people. Um, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from, from a very young age, I've always had that overwhelming fear of abandonment. Um, that, you know, if, if my birth mom, if I wasn't good enough for her, I'm not going to be good enough for anybody. So, um, you know, throughout my whole life, I have been fighting against that. And what I found that is that um, drugs and alcohol um, provided an outlet for me to be able to numb and to be able to numb that shame. You are now the third person I have known in recovery that was adopted. One, one is still alive and is a thriving member of the recovery community. I won't say sure. their name, but if they're listening, I love you, man, and I don't talk to you enough. Uh, the other one was in recovery and is dead, and I am not all the way sure that he didn't kill himself. Um, but I don't know that being adopted had anything to do with that, but I was at Bridge to Recovery one time, 
and there was a lady there who was adopted and I thought the therapist or counselor made this big production about how she thought maybe you feel unwanted and that that absolutely that's a thing absolutely that's a huge thing it's the thing about my life. Like, I wondered if the counselor <laughs> was just beating her down about that. I, I don't know why this stuck with me. I thought, well, if she didn't, she sure does now. Right, I mean, you've right. made such a big deal out of this. It's a serious thing. And, you know, I am I'm absolutely blessed that I, um, you know, was adopted into the family that I was. I mean, they're, they're you know, Jeff Boxworthy said, you know, a long time ago on a on something, you know, he said, you know, my mom was great, my dad was great, I was just a piece of shit. And, and that's kind of what it boils down to. I, I didn't have, um, there, there wasn't any childhood trauma, there wasn't any abuse, there wasn't any, um, any real serious negativity that went on in my life. My parents, my adoptive parents were always supportive, always loving. Uh, my wife and I joke around that, you know, I could do this, the... The worst thing in the world, and my my mom would would come and say, "Oh well, that's creative, Daniel. That's real creative." Like they were they were always supportive, no matter what. I wanted to go study photography in California. Great, we'll help you. I wanted to go on tour with the Christian singing and dancing group. Great, we'll support you. They were always in my corner, and you know, it. it so when when I started using drugs and alcohol to to numb these feelings. Again, here comes this shame, you know. I've had a great childhood, and yet I'm acting out to numb this shame, and I'm hurting these people that have done nothing but be great to me. So it was, it was just, it was a, a just an overwhelming shame response. And I will, I want to mention this because I cannot go, I, I, I cannot go on without mentioning somebody that has been absolutely pivotal in my recovery from the very very start her name is Brene Brown have you ever heard of her Brene Brene Brown no listener you have to go check out Brene Brown she is a shame researcher she researches shame she's also in recovery she's been sober for like 25 years and um, she said she just this is how she defines shame I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And that's from, that's from Brene Brown. And she also says that the huge thing in recovery that I, that I really grasped onto is Brene has this thing. It's called what the difference between shame and guilt and listener listen so hard right now because this could change your life. Shame. And it's real simple. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did bad. There's a huge difference, a huge difference. And my whole life I was living in that shame. I am bad. And when you feel like you are bad, this existential crisis. Bingo. <clears throat> Bingo. So I was searching for How anything. did you figure this out though? This is the Like I feel so I have a, a similar I was not adopted, but everything else, exactly the same. Good parents, supportive parents. As soon as I leave here today and call my mom, she's going to say, gosh, you're the greatest thing ever. <laughs> you're so smart. You're so well-spoken. And, I mean, I can set my watch by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my father, you know, absolutely yeah. supportive long-suffering with mine and my brother's shenanigans. How did you put it together? How did you link this to the adoption thing? Or did you always know it? Uh, lots and lots of therapy. Lots and lots of therapy. Uh, I went to an intensive inpatient rehab in 2005, and we really started to dive in to that and to really identify where that shame was coming from. And then I'll be completely honest. I met with Denise quite a few times. Denise M., one of your uh, former guests. And she, um, she, not only did she help me out, but uh, my wife and I also went to her for uh, couples therapy a, a few times. And she was just so lovely, just absolutely lovely, the most caring individual that I've ever dealt with. And still to this day, I, I quote what Denise said in, in um, uh, recovery meetings and things. So, um, 
but uh, you know, I just it was I was introduced to that whole idea in a in a um, a twelve step recovery intensive outpatient facility um, out on forty three in Brandon, um, and um, you know, it was there that I started to identify what the problem was. Like, what am I running from? Because let's be honest, that's precisely what I'm doing. Like, I'm putting drugs and alcohol into my body to change the way I feel. You know, speaking of Denise, I guess we'll t- keep talking about her. The way she told her story about how there were signals, no, not signals, that, that she interpreted things that her family said in a way that they never intended, and it made an imprint on her mm-hmm. internal belief system about herself and her worth and how she, uh, I guess, how she felt she was to be. Right. And it's interesting how, like, I wonder what unintended things I'm imprinting on my own kids. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, but, you know... All you can do is your best, and you can continue to strive to better yourself um, in whatever way that looks like for you. For me, I love therapy. I absolutely am a firm believer in therapy and its use. I'll tell you uh, another one of your guests, Zach, or Zed, rather. Um, when uh, I first got sober um, this last time, I was broken, man. I was at the bottom. This was after you and I were hanging out. I think you were sober at the time. I was still out doing my thing. And I, Yeah, there was some kind of tit for tat. I remember yeah. I called you one time and you're like, look, bro, you're too toxic. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, I can't do it, yeah. man. Yeah, and there was there were times when like I wanted to hang out and like reach out. And, Mar- and uh, my wife, Marge, was like, uh, you know, it's too early. You know? Better let that thing yeah, rest. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, um, what was I saying? You, you met with Zed. Right. So I was completely beaten down, like to the point where I was at that, that jumping off point. I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to do something different. Yeah. Um, and I, I walked into, I got, um, Zed's number from, um, my sponsor at the time. He said, you know, go check this guy out. I was like, all right, great. I'm willing to do whatever, whatever I need to do in order to change because I'm broken in every way, shape or form, financially, emotionally, everything. I'm broken to the point. I, I, there's nothing else I can do. I've tried every avenue. I've tried literally everything. Church, going to church. I've tried leading um, uh, small groups and church and stuff. And, and I just kept on, I kept on fighting. So. I went and I sat down in Zed's office and I, I just bawled my eyes out and I just, I told him everything. I told him everything that was going on, how I've messed everything up, how my marriage is in shambles, how I feel like a horrible father and I can't do anything right. And you know what he did? He looked me dead in the eyes and with no expression on his face whatsoever, whatsoever he said, I can help you with that. And hope. I just hope. Yes. I just, with those simple words, I just, it was like I was able to exhale for the first time in years. I was sitting down and I was, he said that he could help me. And for some reason, I don't know what it was. You know, I've been the therapist before and I didn't have that kind of reaction with them. Um, but when, when Zed said that, <sighs> And I felt well. When the student's ready, the teacher will appear. You know, it takes what it takes, and yeah. So, needless to say, I I go see him every week, just about every week. And sometimes it's a twenty-minute session. Sometimes it's an hour session. Sometimes it's a thirty-minute session. But do you get an ice bath? (laughs) I have not yet, man. He invited me to. He invited me to. I might do it next. I might. Look, I got a whole bunch of ice cubes and put them in my bathtub one time. Did you try it? And it's it. He he swears by it. I believe it. I had a friend of mine who's a documentarian mm-hmm. from Hattiesburg, and he flew to wherever Wim Hof is from and interviewed Wim Hof. Uh, and so I, he always, when I lived in Hattiesburg, he tried to get me to do it. But 
Yeah, never got around to it. And they also say, you know, um, if you will, after you take your hot shower, the last two minutes of your shower turn all the way cold. And they said that will change your life also. And every time I'm in the shower, I'm like, I should really do that. Look, my hot water heater blew up about a year and a half ago, (laughs) and I had to take a ice cold shower. Was it was it life altering? Yeah, I hollered. Okay, I don't want to harp too much. Yeah. And in the podcast that I've listened to, like going back and like tried to grade where I went right and where I went wrong, I thought maybe I let people linger on the shenanigan part of the story and talked too little about the solution solution and why your life is good now and why your life should stand as an attractive why somebody should think well i kind of want what he's got sure but i do think it's important for us to talk about the kind of shenanigans we did so that other people go okay you know i shot up in the dollar general too right and I mean, I don't think, I don't know if that's necessarily part of your story, but so no, we, I, I was we, too afraid of needles. Okay, we got we we can check off how your addiction began. When did it get worse, and when did it get uncontrollable? Um, so it got worse, uh, probably because when I met you, you'd been here for a while. Are you one of those people that came here to go to Copac and stayed? Yeah. I thought so. Yeah, I came here in 2005 mm-hmm. and was in Copac for like a year. Yeah. And then um, I was court-ordered, uh, and I was not pleased about that at all. I didn't want to get sober. I didn't want to be there. But I did my year, um, and uh, the director at the time, at the day of my year, I was doing something like sleeping in the closet, stirring small group or something. I mean... It's just a just a well-rounded individual that right. first time, uh, and he's like, "All right, you can go," and I was like, "All right, cool." So I moved into an apartment over in Pear Orchard, and within three days, I had, uh, I bought a, a twelve pack of Smirnoff Ice and drank three of them, Smirnoff and then I was ice. yeah, and then I was off to the races. Like alcohol is not a huge part of my story, you know. I I never really enjoyed being drunk. I didn't like being that out of control, but. Every time that I would get sober and go back out, it started with alcohol. And then I would go on to my drug of choice, whatever that may be at the, um, you know, that particular week. Um, so that's why I qualify myself as having a seat in a 12-step program. Sure. Um, but, um, you know, it, it got bad. You know, I was sober for probably two or three years um, after I got sober the first time at Copac. And had had two or three good years. Um, I was productive. I was excited about life. Uh, and then life started getting a little bit more difficult. And um, in my mind, I started thinking, you know, I'm doing okay now, but I would do a lot better if I just had some Adderall or I just had a, a stimulant medication. Yeah, I was on edge. I was on it as a child. You know, it was totally cool. Like, I didn't abuse it then. Like, I can do it now. Like... I'll just stay away from everything else. I'll take it as prescribed, and it won't be a problem. Like, I'll be completely fine, and it will just boost my productivity. Right. Well, <laughs> you, uh, you, you, you take it for a while, and, um, and I did for about the first year. I took it completely as prescribed, and I was just a miserable jerk at home. Uh, just a miserable, miserable jerk. Um, but again, I was like, well, it's totally cool because it's prescribed, A, by the doctor that used to work at the rehab. Um, so, you know, we're good, you know, like I'm not abusing it. And then uh, I uh, burned down a house after working for like 32 hours on a job. And um, you mean that literally? Yeah. 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 I burned down a house. Um, and just the back of it, but. Uh, nevertheless, uh, well, probably half of it, um, and even that wasn't uh, that wasn't enough for me to, to say. You know what? I've had enough. Like I continued on for a few more years, and what would happen is I would take that Adderall or whatever the stimulant medication is, Vyvanse, whatever, and um, you know, inevitably I would have a big job, in which you know it just made sense to take the prescribed in the morning. And then right around 11 or 12, when I would start to come down a little bit. Right, bump it. Well, what do you do? You just, you're just going to pop one more, and it's not a big deal. You know, it's still prescribed. You're just kind of like 
you're 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 bending the rules just a little bit. Like it's it's not a big deal. Will I run out at the end of the month? Yeah, but I'll just go a few days without it. It's not a big deal. You know what I mean? <clears throat> well, come to ten days before my medication or my my prescription is able to be refilled, and I'm out. Well, what does the exact same thing as stimulant medication to someone who's not necessarily ADHD? Right. Methamphetamine. Exact same thing, 100%. Um, so that's where that's where that vicious cycle kicked in. And um, that, that went on for quite a while. I would get my prescription and then run out and go to meth. And then it just, it got to the point where it was cheaper and easier to... Uh, just get meth. Just get meth. And I just wound up eating it. I would, uh, I, I considered it as I was taking medicine. So, um, it's just a cheaper, easier medicine for my ADHD. So I would just take a little shard of meth and just gobble and drink it down with Gatorade. And then I would just go on through my day and that I was able to quote unquote micro dose for maybe like six months, eight months, maybe. And then it just, it, the bottom just fell out. And I just, I would, you know, found myself snorting lines and, you know, <laughs> doing um, other things, doing other things, which are, uh, yeah. So that's what brought me down. And then having uh, a wife and son at home, you know, I thought I was hiding it, but, um, you know, my wife is not an idiot. She knows when I'm doing something wrong and, um, she just, she didn't, um, she didn't fight me that last time, um, she came to the realization that there's not anything that she can do um, to change who I am and what I'm doing. Um, that had to come with within, from within. So she just kind of was hands off a little bit, um, a lot. Um, and I, I can't blame her for that. Like she did the absolute right thing. Like she, she did the right thing. And um, I wound up in a different house. I moved out. Um, you know, it was really hard on our son. I was not present. I went to Dallas and lived with my parents for like three or four months to go to outpatient rehab there. Was smoking weed the whole time I was there. Um, and then came back and just, um, it all just compounded to one night I was sitting in the uh, woods behind my rental house and I was smoking a little weed, a lot of weed. And I just, uh, at this point, you know, I had been immersed in a recovery community for some time, you know, right. since I was Had 18 years old. Right. So I knew what needed to be done. I needed to stop what I was doing. I needed to reach out to a sponsor and I needed to be willing to do whatever he said because my best thinking got me in this chair right here when in the woods. When was this? 2016. No, 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 no. This was, that was when I relapsed the first time. So I've got, uh, my sobriety is April 11th of uh, 2021. So I've got just a little bit over 18 months now. So this was uh, about two years ago. About two years ago. Um, and uh, I reached out to my sponsor and um, he gave me instructions and I was willing to do whatever it took to not feel horrible anymore. I was willing to do what it took in order to not feel so bad you know whatever it looked like and I knew that it would take work I knew that I would have to work you know the steps of the program that that um, you know I'm affiliated with uh, and, and work them to the best of my ability and um, and also make myself available to help other people as well because that is the cornerstone of my my recovery program is service work you know we work through the steps and the last step is, you know, helping other people. So um, that is what brings me joy today. So I, I knew that I knew what I needed to do and I had known what I needed to do for for quite some time. It's just God brought me to the point Well, there's where that disconnect between knowing it and then taking action. Well, being willing to do it. Right, right. And for me, it was just being in that, that, that dark, dark spot of, you know, the, yes, I was hurting my family. Yes, I was hurting my loved ones. Yes, I was hurting my business. Yes, I was hurting everyone around me. But the, the most difficult thing to accept was when I looked in the mirror, I, it wasn't like I just didn't like that guy. 
I loathed every cell in that guy's body to my core. I hated, I hated myself. I absolutely effing hated everything about me. I couldn't stand me. And it was that pain that was the huge motivator to do something different. Because, you know, I could have gone on and on and on and my wife would have left me and my son would have not wanted to be around me. And, you know, if, if I didn't work on myself and have a spiritual change, a spiritual solution to where when I look in that mirror, I don't hate that guy. If I wasn't able to do that in the, the my recovery. Well, maybe your your long history in recovery gave you that kernel of hope. Absolutely. Because if you really did hate yourself that much, you wouldn't have bothered with investing in getting sober. I was too much or, of a chicken to kill myself. Yeah. You know? Uh, but yeah, that that you know, that's why it's so so beautiful for, you know, new folks to come into the program and things and is you know, they may not get healthy at that moment, but that seed is planted. So, um, and that's why I'm, I'm so eager to be of service today is it makes me feel good. And I love that today living in the solution, all of that shit from the past, it would be very easy to, to look at that and get into that deep depression, that deep poor pitiful me um it would be so easy to get into that but what i have recognized is and 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 this isn't anything that i've come up with i've heard this over the years in recovery is everything that happened in my past has led me to the man that i am today and i genuinely care about that man today i don't hate him i am forgiving of him of all of that trash that i did in my past well, it is said that we are the sum of our experiences. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, you know, we're the sum of our choices. Right, right. So it's just, you know, today I, I don't I don't hate that person. And, and the way that I do that is I, you know, I finally sat down. I finally sat down in recovery. And uh, I was willing to do whatever I needed to do. And I found that I, I genuinely love helping people. Um, you know, today I'm the concession manager at Northwest Rankin High School. Um, I, I love that. I love... Slinging those Snickers. Yeah, man. I, I, I don't know what it is. Like, I was thinking about the other day. Like, I'm blessed. Like, I am so lucky that I enjoy that. Like, because I do. I love it. I absolutely love being a part of something bigger than me. I would love buying something for a dollar and selling it for six, too. <laughs> That's some impressive markup y'all probably got out there. Uh, seven, but, you know, whatever. It's uh, a king-size candy bar. Yeah, it's a king-size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know... Today, living in the solution looks like um, trying my hardest not to harm anyone um, and using my past experiences um, to help other people. And That is the thing. Yeah. If we can figure out some way to turn our bullshit and shenanigans into benefit, then, then we, have, we have done right by recovery. Right, right. I completely agree. I completely agree. So it's just, you know, I, I just, I try to... I try to help and I try to get involved and, you know, there is a, you know, I, my wife and I were talking about this morning, you know, the, the, the whole thing about balance because I am all or nothing in everything I do in recovery in drinking and using and everything. I was, I was that guy that here's the level that you would usually take it to. I would always take it consistently to the next level. Um, and so I have to, I have to be careful to not overextend myself, you know, and, and keep, keep time for my family and, and not lose sight of the fact that, Hey, I wouldn't be here without them. So I need to, I need to, you know, maybe take a step back from everything. That Temporary I'm doing. enthusiasm. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and just kind of let God do his work. And, you know, today, you know, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I'm not like I grew up in the church. I have nothing wrong with the church. I think it's great. But when I walk into a recovery meeting and when I walk into church, I feel loved and appreciated and understood here and not so much necessarily at a church. And now there are wonderful programs, celebrate, celebrate recovery, beautiful, beautiful opportunities for recovery. And, and my story is not the same as everybody. You know, there are so many paths to recovery. Tell me more about this, this worship team that you were going to. So the, they're called the Continentals. 
Um, they're a Christian, Christian singing and dancing group. Um, and I did I, you dance? Did you? I'm, I I'm, did, I'm intrigued bro. by interp- I did by interpretive dance. I did, man. It was a 90 minute show. It was all choreographed, and I sang and I danced. Did and, they have uh, praise flags? Nah, no, no. But we did have props. Okay. And we went. Uh, we did 42 shows here in the U.S. Uh, no, 40. We did shows in 42 different states here in the U.S. And then we started in Oxnard, California. Uh, I went to treatment in Oxnard. Did one you time. really? Yeah. I lived in Ventura for three years. I went to uh, oh near Port Wanimi. Yeah, um, that's I what I used I to. Can't remember the name. Anacapa by the Sea. Yeah, yeah. I used to score weed over there. Um, but yeah, so we we started in Oxnard. We had a two week training uh, course there and learned all the choreography and the songs and everything. And I applied. I I uh, auditioned to become a part of this group and I got accepted and then um, so we started in Oxnard we went all the way over to New York and then made our way back and then we hopped on a plane in um, LA and flew over to uh, Nairobi Kenya and did a sh- three shows international there. worship and dance team yeah I know the church bro I, I, I love it like I but just no I love one it. is more surprised about <laughs> the uh, role that worship music plays in my life than I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, great. Like I have no problems. Like I'm just, I get my fulfillment from the fellowship of the recovery community today. Yeah, and and I'm also associated with lots of lots of <coughs> folks that are heavily involved in church, and I, I love those people. Like I I really do. I have nothing wrong with. Well, when I was at the City of Refuge, the faith based treatment center that I went to, I got turned on to worship music. And I grew up Catholic, and we don't have that right uh listening to music as a i mean to most protestants i mean maybe not presbyterians but you know like they have a a whole part of their church is listening to music right right and yeah the praise and worship like and like you know new churches and stuff it's it's really great like i have a I have a whole um, CD, you know, the old 90s CD cases, the big ones yeah. that you had. The in case your... logic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I've got a whole, like, uh, that's completely full with praise and worship uh, music of CDs and stuff. Like, I, like, I, I feel you. Like I, and Here, I, Here's the real question. Yeah. Do you remember any of the dance steps? Because uh... we've got a little bit of room here. <laughs> No, bro. <laughs> that camera's, work, that camera's working too well for yeah, that. And I have searched. This was back in 2003 or four, So, I mean, it was a minute ago. And cameras weren't prevalent like they are today. So, I've yeah. been searching. If, if that happened today, you'd be able to search on YouTube and boom, there you go. There's, you know, every, every video associated with that. But it, it just wasn't the story back then. So... I've tried to look for Look, videos, I feel but... bad for kids of this day and age because there are things that I did when I was a youngster that I would not want memorialized right. for all time. <laughs> I know. It's hard. And like with Snapchat and everything, like everything is documented. Everything is recorded. Like there's no... Like every stupid decision you make, if it's in public, yeah. you run a pretty significant risk that somebody recorded it yeah yeah there's no doubt there's no doubt and it's tough you know it's it is tougher i feel like you know it is what it is but you know it's just a different time and it is you know, well you have a teenager i do who i believe i saw has a driver's license now he has his, his uh learner's permit yeah okay yeah he's 15 good kid um makes good grades heavily involved with the uh, northwest Rankin band uh, what instrument does he, he play? He plays the tuba. So he's out there. Got that upper body strength. Going. Yeah, he's got the, I mean, he rides like 10 to 14 miles a day on his bike. Like, this kid's like, he's going places. Like, like he, he's he's good in school. That's like, focus that I did not have. I didn't have, no. I didn't know what the word focus was. <laughs> yeah, so he's How do he's you good. see social media impacting his life in a way that it would, because you're too old for it to have been? Uh, well, you know, it, it's just, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are, there are benefits to it in, in, in that, you know, um, you know, you can be connected with your friends at all times and, 
Um, but I think it is very easy to get trapped behind that screen and not, um, you know, not actually talk with people. You know, I, I think that that it could be something that that leads to issues in the in the near future of people not being able to communicate well. I have spoke. I, I talked to Denise about this. I think I talked to Zed about it some too. About I think it's worse on girls. Yeah, I mean, I would. I, probably lean towards that conclusion being made to feel ugly because of some well look at look at everything that's on the tv and that's in the newspaper and on the internet these aren't regular women these are women that are photoshopped or have eating disorders and and people put them on pedestals that this is the ideal look that you need to go for and i don't care how independent how strong a young girl is if she is bombarded with these images every single day and all of this Victoria's Secret crap and all of these things that this is what the ideal human looks like, I don't care how strong you are. You're going to be influenced by that. There's a good possibility that you're going to be influenced by that. And it, as a result, you're going to possibly look negatively at yourself. Well, I think that social media polarizes us in one of two ways because there's... A there's this exceptional prevalence of wokeism and, you know, it's the thing that leads Lizzo to be popular right, and not right. criticized for being fat and gross. Right. And then the flip side of that is the prevalence of Brazilian butt lifts in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it, Kim Kardashian has like, what, like 42 trillion followers on Instagram? It's like, crazy. You know, I just, I don't get it, but whatever. Um, you know, that's, that's not my, that's not my jam. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think the, the media is, you know, it's, it's difficult, not only for women. I mean, I think it's difficult for women, absolutely. But I also think it's difficult for young boys, you know, I mean, they are, you know, they're, and, and men and boys deal with eating disorders as well, you know, almost just as much as females, you know, don't quote me on that, but. Um, I, I think that there there's still quite a few males that struggle with with um, their identity and sitting down in themselves and loving who they are because it's difficult to, you know, when you are like again bombarded with all these images of what what is good, um, and if you don't look exactly like that, you know, as a child you don't have the wherewithal or the knowledge to be able to say hey you know that's not real. You know, yeah. that's not, that's not real. It's, it's just curated. Not right, exactly. So it's difficult, you know, it, it, it's got to be difficult for everybody. But, you know, it's, there, there are ways to, to use it for good as well. You know, you can, you can be helpful. And there, you know, people like Jax. Have you, have you seen Jax? She's on TikTok. She I did don't the, do TikTok. The song, okay, well, she's, she did a song um, called uh, Victoria's Secret. And she's, oh, I've heard that on the radio. Yeah, she's talking about you know how the the owner of Victoria's Secret is like a eighty year old man, and you know it's just like she's she's playing a beautiful role in um, bringing light to the fact that look, all of these ideal images that you see, they're not real. Like they're they're created by an eighty year old man in New York or wherever wherever he is, um, and so. There is that negativity, but there are also people like Jax and other people that are, you know, getting real, so to speak. That hey, girls, this is not real. Like, look at me. I'm successful. I look like a normal human being. Like, I don't. She's she just looks. But isn't she successful only because some other eighty year old man let her be successful? I mean, there's that. There's that. Um, I mean. But I've heard the song. I mean, she's not Maria Catalyst. You know, she's not yeah, this yeah. impressive opera, operato. No, but she just has something. She's got something. She's and got this thing that Lizzo has. I mean, well, I'm yeah. bragging on Lizzo, but only because she's, I mean, she's enormous and half naked at Lakers games. And nobody yeah, wants yeah. to see that. But I, I, well, I disagree. I disagree. I would say that some people do like to see that, especially like women that are not like the, like the social regular, like, you know, 105 pounds, like, you know, there, there are conditions out there where you, you could eat, you know, a, a pill size meal consistently 
over your entire life, and you're still going to gain weight and be obese. You know who I think has that? Rick Rubin. I don't know who that is. The the producer. Produced records for Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Jay-Z. Yeah. So System, I, of, System of a Down. Yeah, he so was, I, I he think was on Joe good. Rogan's podcast the other day. Yeah, yeah. And he had been a vegan for like 25 years and weighed like almost 400 pounds. Yeah. A vegan. Yeah. I mean, everybody's in a different stage in their life. Yeah, you know what I mean, and and that's one of the things I love about TikTok. And don't judge me because I look at TikTok like just, just get over it. Like don't judge me, um, because there are so many um, wonderful stories on TikTok and so much laughter on TikTok that you know these people that they're going from they're 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 morbidly obese. You know they are going to die as a result of their obesity. And they made a decision to try something different and to to um, go on a on a different path and maybe try one thing different than they were willing to do before. And just that one little step can lead into another. And then they document these transformations. And I'm not saying you have to be you have to go through this huge, you know, transformation in order to be loved or Fulfilled. fulfilled. But there are those stories and they're everywhere. They're everywhere. You know, um, so it is. I, I do. I love TikTok for that. That that they, yes, they they also have you know the skinny well, young. They ladies. say that China governs what is viewable on TikTok, and that in China, TikTok, you know, the sexual perversion is non-existent. Is non-existent, yeah, and it's I've heard that it's well. used to drive children to. Study harder to study to grow their interest in math right. and science and yeah yeah I heard that as well uh, on TikTok on TikTok yeah um, so yeah I mean that's 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 absolutely true and I mean I think there is a lot of that I think there is a lot of you know the algorithm is there for a reason and who controls the algorithm I don't I don't know you know the, the Chinese, Chinese government does yeah um, but you know maybe there will be and there is the concern about. You know, um, privacy. Privacy, absolutely, sure. Um, but you don't have to go on there. You don't have to be a part of TikTok. You know, and you know, Elon Musk, my boy Elon. If you listen to Elon, you know, holla at a boy. I, yeah, holla at a boy. Um, you know, he just bought Twitter, and uh, Twitter owns Vine, and there's talk of Vine coming back, which would be owned by Elon Musk and somebody that's not in China. Um, so. Who knows what the future may hold? You know what I mean? Like, there's there's always going to be... Everybody has a phone now. Everybody has a camera and a video. Um, and, you know, it's... You know, who knows? Who knows what the future is? But it is, I do find it quite entertaining to, to see those transformations and to see the, the good in people. There's a lot of those videos of just... And, and who cares if that's China saying, look at this video. This video is of, of a young man who is out helping his neighbor who is elderly mow his yard. Like, how is that, like, how is China trying to get me with that? You know what I mean? Like, that's just positivity no matter how you look at it. Like, that's just positive stuff. So, you know, there is that whole, and I've, I've heard Joe Rogan's take on it. I get it. I understand. But, you know, it is what it is. And there is a lot of positivity on there. So We need to make a TikTok and send it to China. <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll see we'll see we'll see yeah it's uh there's there's a lot of a lot of good stuff going on but i mean have we how are we doing on time we're fine i mean um unless you're fatigued no not at all i'm having a blast good yeah so what else you got for me all right <clears throat> we have we've we've made our way through the majority of my outline here I'm going to hit you with the hard questions now. What do you do well in your recovery? What's a day in the life look like? Now, <clears throat> only as it relates to recovery. Sure. Um, that's an easy one. Okay. First thing I do before I wake up or after I wake up is I get on my knees and I thank God for keeping me sober the day before. I ask him to keep me sober today and I ask that he use me for his will, whatever that may look like. And when I walk through life, walk through the day with that mindset, um, you know, I just, I, I pray that he makes me of service, whatever that may look like. Of some benefit. Of some benefit. So 
that's what I do. And I just, I constantly look for opportunities to help. I just, I love, I genuinely love helping people. Um, it's, it's one of the things that just brings me the most incredible joy. Um, just being of service. Purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By contrast, what do you do poorly in your recovery? Balance. <clears throat> Balance. That all or nothing gets in the way. All or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it does. It causes problems with my home life. And, you know, my selfishness will be like, well, you know, that's that's too damn bad. Like, I'm helping all these people, but I'm not taking care of what's going on in my house. You know, I'm not taking care of my home. Um, I'm, you know spreading all this energy and, and positivity out there and when I come home I'm drained and I don't have anything for anybody else and that's not fair so balance is how do you number one reckon that ba- how, do you, how do you weigh those things um, forcing myself to listen to the needs of my family um, and not just rushing over it and saying you don't know what you're talking about I know what's best for me you don't know what's best for me so just get out of my way like if I am that hard headed like that, I'm I'm gonna cause problems, and so that's where that's where again that balance comes in. And I talk with my therapist about it on a re- I talk with Zed on, about it on a regular basis. You know, I I don't want to be the cocky um, douchebag from douchebag Wisconsin, douche canoe Wisconsin. You know, douche I don't canoe. yeah I don't want to be that guy. Um, I want to be kind and and loving, and I also um, I want to. You know, I want to be there for my family. I also want to be there for, for um, people that can that, that need help or people that don't need help that need just can benefit from a positive frame of mind. You know, um, so it's just it's just it's just balance, man. I just got to communicate and talk, and that's something that I'm not good at. I'm not really good at communicating all the time, especially I am with like say customers. I'm very good and very laser focused on communication in the business world because that's what pay the bill pays the bills and it's necessary for me to be a professional at all times no matter what even in the roughest of, of times because if I don't my business is going to fail and it's going to go into the ground and then I won't have a career so it's very easy for me to communicate in that realm it's not as easy for me to communicate to my loved ones or you know to my wife and to my son or my parents or whatever. It's just not as easy because that, you know, if I don't do it perfectly, I'm not, it's, it's not immediately going to negatively affect me as it would in the business world. So, um, communication is key for me. And, you know, Marge, if you're listening, I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. I know I'm not perfect. I know I got to focus on, you know, really honing in on that, that balance and, and I'm working on it. So, What advice would you offer to someone newly sober? Newly sober, um, get involved in some sort of fellowship. Um, get linked up with somebody that has been where you are before, whether that be a sponsor, a priest, a rabbi, um, whatever. Somebody that is that has more experience in what you're dealing with um, than you do. And... A great place to start for that is a 12-step recovery program of some kind. There's lots out there. Um, and then um, be, be prepared to just listen because your best thinking, and I've said this before, your best thinking has got you where you are right now. So maybe it's time to try something different and be open to listening to someone else's suggestion. Um, that's what I did at least. Um, sit down fully. Um, Trust God, clean house, help, help others. others. What goals do you have? Life, personal, relational, I don't even know if that's a word. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, spiritual. And then we can revisit this in future podcasts and you can gauge your success in sure. achieving these goals. Yeah, grow in the public eye. I love it. Yeah. Um, Layers of accountability, right? Right, exactly. If it's on Facebook Live, it must be real. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, um, I want to uh, continue uh, to be of service. Obviously, I would love to. Uh, I've been 
Um, you know, I, I did a ride along with the Rankin County Constable Gary Windham, Windham um, a few weeks ago to kind of get a, a better understanding of the needs of the community and how I could help in that way. And one day, who knows, I might might like to run for public office of some kind in Rankin County or um, I've also uh, in the process of getting my real estate license to be able to help people with that. Um, you know, and just, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very, you know, I've, I've got these goals of, you know, real estate and public service and, um, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it looks like, um, you know, successful business, things like that, continuing it. Uh, but what I have to be um, keenly aware of is if I do not allow God space to work his magic, then I'm doing myself a grave disservice. So I have these goals. I have these aspirations. I have these things that I want to accomplish. But I'm also 100% okay with the fact that if this is not what God wants for my life, he's going to present something that's better and more, more well fit for me and my personality than, than I would, you know, through the years of 12-step meetings, I've heard, you know, I couldn't have imagined where God had brought me when I first got sober 35 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever. Um, they just, you know, they say it all the time. I, I wouldn't have, I couldn't have even begun to imagine what my life would be like today. So I keep that close to my heart. And I keep that in mind that, you know, these may be these, Exp these these goals that you have but my ultimate goal for today is to do the best that I can be the best human that I can be be as as helpful uh, loving caring and understanding as I possibly can be and let God be prepared to come and do the work but believe with every cell in my body that God's will for me is going to be better than my will for me so I just leave as much space as necessary for God to work his magic. How do you know you're always doing that? How do I know that I'm always doing that? Um, How do you course correct? Um, talking. Talking. Um, talking. Being willing to be honest with somebody. Exactly being willing to be gut level honest with uh, my wife first and foremost she's the one that spends the most time around me so you know she is a good sounding board um, and I and I give her I give her hell sometimes I do like this morning I was kind of like well you don't know what you're talking about type of thing but then like I got in the car and you know I called my sponsor and and he was saying the exact thing same thing she was saying and damn I know damn. I know and then I called her and she was like, well, why don't you just listen to me? And I was like, well, I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Yeah. You know, so it takes that those levels of accountability for me right now to be able to course correct. But um, the main thing for me is just to try to keep an open mind um, and realize that just accept the fact that I don't have all the answers. Um, and and. There is somebody that has all those answers, and that's God, and I can tap into that power every day if I choose. Um, you know, I come to him every morning, like I said, and, and ask for what his will for my life will be. And uh, so far, you know, so far, so good. Um, but I do have to focus on It's so on that. funny. I mean, I've been in recovery for a long, long time. I've been to a zillion 12-step meetings. I've talked to a trillion people. And there's virtually nothing new that I've ever heard from yeah. anybody. But it's amazing to me how things ring truer the healthier I get. And right. you're like, you know, I, I really did just need to shut up and sit down right. and listen. Right. That's the close your mouth and open your ears. So, yeah, that's... That's... Well, much like people are asked on the witness stand, is there anything else you want to talk about that I've not asked you? Um, what was that? I, I was hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, oh, oh, that's one thing. 
one more thing about Brene Brown's uh, Brene oh, yeah. Brown's research. How would people find Brene? Uh, YouTube. YouTube. Go to YouTube. Search for Brene. B R B R E N E B R O W N B R O W N on YouTube. Uh, search for <coughs> Brene Brown. Um, shame. Shame. And it'll her TED Talk will pop up, and that's where she like blew up. Like she has devoted her life to researching shame. And one thing that she said is shame will keep you small. And that that really, really, I really identified with that because, you know, a lot of times, you know, people are, you know, they just stay small. They, they don't. Well, you're not going to grow if you fundamentally right. don't think you're worthy of it. Right. You're not going to put forth the effort. Right. Also, one more thing that I heard on a podcast yesterday, and I was like, duh, and I think I've heard this before, but. I've got to mention this. So, the opposite of addiction is not recovery or sobriety. The opposite of addiction, and listen, listen closely, listeners, is connection. Look, I'm all about it. I mean, I even know who you got that from. <laughs> Johan Hari. I yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. him literally all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Have you read? Uh... Chasing the screen. It's his book where he puts forward this argument that the the opposite of addiction isn't you know it, it, it's this connection, right? Johan. But it makes perfect sense if you think about it. Like when that, you're the whole Rat Park thing. Yeah, when yeah. you're in active addiction, you know, being able to connect with someone. Yeah, is chasing not the easy. screen. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to. You've read got that. to read it. It's yeah, fantastic. I'll read, it. I'll read it. I'll read it. And I think he was. I think he's in recovery. Is he? Because, like, I think he. I think he got caught having broken the cardinal rule of journalism. I think he like dummied up some evidence or something. Oh. And so Chasing the Scream has, uh, he retails about all of these interviews he's had with people. Mm -hmm. And then he posts the interview. You can listen to the interviews. And he's like, don't, don't take my word for it. Go to this website and all the MP3s right there. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I think he's fascinating. Yeah. This this promoting this this interconnectivity between all of us, and how that by enhancing your connections, you will. I mean, I interpret it to mean the more connections you have, the more involved you are, mm -hmm. the less likely you would be to want to use, right. to want to seek out uh, drugs. Exactly. Where did you hear it? Um, on a uh, another recovery podcast yesterday. Um, and they didn't mention Johan. I don't know where they, um, but that's interesting to see that that's where that came from. That kind of everything makes sense now. But well, I don't know that he invented that idea. He's just the one I heard it from that was right. the most loud about it. Right, right. But I think it's I think it's fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. Because you know, when you think of it, fundamentally, that's what twelve step groups do for you. Yeah, yeah. We're hardwired for connection. Yeah, and addiction takes that no away. No man is an island. Right. Yeah, we're 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 hardwired. Well, then an addiction forces us to withdraw in into ourselves, and right. by shame and guilt, you build up these walls to exclude everybody else. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. You know, anything I could or one thing I could say to anybody that's struggling right now is, do your best to identify what you're ashamed of right now, and do whatever you can to identify that and to work on that. Because you will gain freedom in that, um, 100%, 100%. And also, go check out Brene Brown. And Brene, if you ever listen to this, come on. Tag me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get in touch. That would be a dream. That would be an absolute dream. Give her a hug. Yeah. Tell her thank you. Yeah, yeah. It'll happen one day. I think it'll happen. Well, all right. We've hit about an hour. Wow goes fast doesn't it wow wow okay so let's try to figure out how to get this uploaded to youtube okay all right and then uh we're gonna we're working on getting it on um apple podcast google podcast we're working on it we're working on that okay all right cool well man i appreciate you having me brother one thing at a time yeah man absolutely all right all righty all right listeners till next time all right take care guys <laughs>